Tuesday, we have a choice. We can do it our way or God's way. It's pretty simple. I was shocked in the paper Friday in the Living Faith section to open it up and it have on the front page of that section, Undecided at the Pulpit. 22% of pastors don't know who they're voting for Tuesday. Well, clearly 22% hadn't decided about this book either. Now, I give you a warning, I'm a little fired up today. Because we have a great, great responsibility on Tuesday. And I'm so excited to be in the nation where we have a choice. That we don't have to decide or have someone else decide for us what we believe or what we're going to do or not do. But instead, we can go to a poll and make a decision. And then we have a choice. And that we've gone through this grueling process. If it's grueling for us, think about how grueling it is for the two candidates. And all those who are running for other offices, from county commissioners such as Jerry Carl, who goes to this church, to other positions across the land, I'm sure they're glad Tuesday's coming as well. But praise God that we can go to the polls on Tuesday and that we can go in and we can literally vote and do something that for thousands of years was not even a part of mankind. And so Tuesday, I can't wait for. And today I want to speak to you for a moment, not tell you who to vote for or not vote for. You've already decided that. But I do want you to pay careful attention to what is God's way. And I want you in your bulletin, if you will, there's a handout that Billy Graham's organization put out. You ought to pull that. I'm going to read this to you because it's so good. And the Graham organization put this in newspapers across the country a week or two ago. They provided these out to churches across the country. And I find it interesting that throughout Billy Graham's ministry, he certainly was involved in the life of every president, met with every president, spent time with every president, and was a consultant for every president during his tenure, or before he became uh, uh, quite aged. But Billy Graham, for the first time, is coming out with something like this. And while he's not endorsing a candidate, he certainly is putting it into great light on where to go with our vote on Tuesday. Now, why would it be that a man of great stature who has spent his life building a reputation and most Americans highly look to this man of God, why would it at his 94th birthday would he put everything at jeopardy on how his final chapter will be written? If he didn't greatly believe that our nation is at a crossroads and our nation is in a spiritual war. You see, unlike all the other previous elections, and many of you have obviously faced, has gone through the election process far greater number of times than I have, but what I can see and what I hear from those older than me and from the study of history is up until Tuesday, we typically voted on candidates based upon if we felt they could turn an economy around or keep an economy strong based on foreign policy, based on other issues of the like. But now we stand at a crossroads on Tuesday. And four years ago, we as Americans decided to go down a certain path and test the water, so to speak. Many elected based on the color of one's skin. And I understand that. That was a tremendous triumphant day for anyone who is African American to 
have the first African American voted in. I mean, that's, that's tremendous. But we started down that path, and now we come back, and it's, we're standing at literally the crossroads of where we go as a nation. This president, of course, will appoint most likely some judges to the Supreme Court, at least one, if not a couple. Those Supreme Court judges will make decisions in regards to moral issues as well as just typical uh, legal issues. And so our nation stands at a crossroads unlike any other time in history. In fact, Billy Graham says, if you'll read with me, he said, on November 6th, the day before my 94th birthday, our nation will hold one of the most critical elections in my lifetime. We are at a crossroads, and there are profound moral issues at stake. I strongly urge you to, to vote for candidates who support the biblical definition of marriage between man and a woman, protect the sanctity of life, and defend our religious freedoms. The Bible speaks clearly on these crucial issues. Please join me in praying for America that we will turn our hearts back toward God. Now, before I say anything further, let me say off of his last statement that if we as a nation don't turn our hearts back towards God, it doesn't really matter who gets elected. It's not so much who's sitting in the White House as much as it is who's ruling the House. As much as who's ruling houses across this nation. What do we do with Jesus Christ? That's the real question that we face at this crossroads in gesture in life. But I want us to look at those three issues that Billy Graham looks at on why would this man at his 94th birthday say that we must support candidates who support these three issues. And he says that the Bible speaks clearly of these crucial issues. And so this morning, I want us to understand why this is not about an economy or an election of one individual over another individual based on a party line, based on a racial color or a color of a skin, or based on what our foreign policy might be or not be, or any of those issues, for this election is over the moral issues. Now, in the past, and some pastors certainly feel this way, I do not, that the church should not be involved in politics. That pastors should not be about politics. That they should only be about proclaiming God's Word. Well, I completely agree. The problem is... Politics has spilled over into an area that is contrary to God's Word. Thus, that brings it into my territory. Therefore, I either can stay silent and sit back and let the devil rule the country, or I can move forward and say, by God, we're not doing that. Politics or not, political correctness or not, we are preaching God's Word, and we will say yes to some things and no to other things, and this is what we're doing. And you move into our territory, we will speak back. Now... This 22%, I, I don't know where they are. They must be, I, I have no idea. How can a pastor not who who, know who they're voting for Tuesday? Not only do they not know who they're voting for, how in the world can they lead from their pulpits or speak from God's Word about truth in regards to issues, moral issues to our nation, and not, be, not know who in the world they're going to vote for? Billy Graham says, identifies three, I have five, but we don't have time for five, but we'll go over these three. And this is a spiritual battle that we're in. And here's what Billy Graham has to say. It's number one, the biblical definition of marriage between a man and a woman. Genesis chapter two, if you will, flip with me. And this is important for us to know, and I know you already know who you're going to vote for. And I know most of you have greatly prayed for our nation. All of us here love our nation. 
I hope and pray all of us here will go and vote Tuesday. And by the way, if you're unable to drive or whatever the case may be, and you don't have a ride, please call the church office and we will find you a ride. Just because you may be ill or elder or whatever the case may be, do not think that your vote doesn't count. Your vote counts as much as my vote and anybody else in this country's vote, and we want to help you get to the polls to vote Tuesday. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of its ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's the beginning of time. Now, if you flip over to Ephesians 5, 25, and we're going to just kind of do an overview on many verses today, and unfortunately, we don't have time to get to a deep study, but certainly in Ephesians 5, Paul is telling the Christians in Ephesus, he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ has loved, also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Going down to 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Verse 31, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And it goes on. Sin is sin. One sin's not greater than another sin. But here's the problem that we've got in this crossroads that we face on Tuesday. The Scripture clearly says that God created a man and a woman And that that man and woman shall come together as a husband and wife and be joined together. And any sexual relationship before that marriage will be considered sin. But the the norm, the standard that God set in His mandate and directive to us is for a man and a woman to get married and then to have children. And those children get married. And they have children. And it all started in, you all know the time period, but over the course of the last couple of decades, the homosexual movement began to move forward and became more prevalent and began to get a bigger voice and began to have a stronger voice out of Hollywood and a stronger voice in the media and, and has taught our younger people. And because the church really hasn't done their job, our younger people have turned around and now they embrace that. I mean, I'm on a Baptist campus and, and I, we know for a fact that a large number of our students who come from Christian churches and come from Christian backgrounds and who are Christians, their feeling is, hey, well, what difference does it make if that's what they want? If, they, if a man and a man wants to get married, a woman and a woman goes to get married, that's their business, does it matter? Well, it matters because it matters to God. God placed his order, a way of doing things, and the problem is this in this election. President Obama, while interestingly enough not participating in the National Day of Prayer in the last four years, has turned around and they, he, you can go online and see it, He invites the gay and lesbian transgender community to the White House for dinner. Some would certainly say it was just to get their vote. Well, at what cost? 
And he stands to this group of people who are created by God, and we love these people, just we love all people. But he says, I am your friend and I am your advocate. And what we've seen by this administration clearly is trying to get American people in place into law and manipulating the law and going around the law where there's a redefinition of marriage as opposed to a strengthening of marriage. For instance, telling the military and chaplains that though there's no national law of where a man and a man can get married, they tell the chaplains in the military, you can marry a man and a man on our military bases and you can perform these ceremonies, go ahead and do it. We're not going to do anything about it. In fact, we encourage you to do it. Well, if you believe this book, and you believe the God of this book, and you believe the created order of this book by the one who authored the book, God himself, that's a problem. That alone is enough reason to say we stand at a crossroads and we have a a new definition on Tuesday of either the next four years of saying we will completely embrace this homosexual and lesbian lifestyle and we'll go ahead and if if the lawmakers don't vote it in, then we'll just manipulate the system and make our own laws and do like we want to do and continue to encourage this, this uh, uh, instead of Adam and Eve, Adam and Steve mentality. And we have a choice to make. Clearly, it's contrary to God's Word and God's directive. Of course, there's those who say that we should be tolerant, and some maybe here this morning would even say, well, Savage, you need to be more tolerant. It's about tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. We hear that tolerance all the time. Of course, they want us to be tolerant, but they're not tolerant of us. But regardless, the simple truth is this. We make kind of a, maybe it's a bigoted statement, but I don't care. You know, tolerance is never mentioned in the Bible as something that we should espouse or embrace. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. It's not tolerance. The Scripture never says to tolerate. If anything, it says to shine the light into the darkness, to not be a, hidden under a bushel, or, or that, that we should be out, that we should penetrate the darkness. Yes, it instructs us to love one another, but to love someone is not to tolerate anything that comes down the path. You understand that, right? So tolerance has nothing to do with the Scripture. In fact, the Scripture teaches contrary. But yet we're told that we should be tolerant. Clearly, the Bible says that a man and a woman is to be married and to have children. Clearly, the Scripture is in opposition, direct opposition, to any of the gay and lesbian lifestyle. And it's mind-boggling to me that after 6,000 years, if you espouse the creation theory, or if someone wants to believe the evolutionary theory that's millions of years old, whatever, the bottom line is this. However long this earth has been and Adam and Eve was created, can you imagine the ego and the audacity for a political leader to say, eh, we really don't care what 6,000 years of history has to say. We're going to do it this way. What kind of ego does it take to redefine marriage after 6,000 years? Let that sink in for a moment. 6,000 years of people getting married as husband and wife. And the current administration wants to redefine that. Tremendous ego. And certainly, tremendous pushback against the things of God of saying, basically, we know better and we will do what we want to do. It doesn't matter what history says, family values say, our nation says, or the scriptures say. 
And by the way, it's not just Christianity that's opposed to this. But I don't know of a single religion, a valid religion in the planet that endorses homosexual and lesbian lifestyles. So this isn't just a Christian issue. This is an all-religious issue in our land. And we stand at a crossroads. Billy Graham then says, protect the sanctity of life. We should strongly support one who protects the sanctity of life. And let's take a, a look at that for just a moment. And we could spend an entire sermon series on this particular topic. But over in, in Isaiah 44, verse 2, God is speaking and He says, Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb. The Hebrew there is that God created, He formed, He knitted together inside of the woman's body. And God is the one who gives life. And then if you flip over to Jeremiah... Chapter 1, verse 5, for instance, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So there again, a second scripture of, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. God is the one who takes a human life and gives life to that person and lets that baby grow inside of the mother so that the mother can have the blessing of giving birth. Now let me say something because this really irritates me. You take someone like Pam and I who want to have a child and have spent 20-something thousand dollars in trying to have a child, and it irks me to see other people, like a president, say abortion is okay and, and, and endorse that and sanctify that and say it's a woman's right. Is it a woman's right or is it the child's right? Because there's some of us who understands life and we're going to protect the child, whether the child is in the flesh or the child is in the mother as the flesh. But we turn around as a nation. And since 1973, when abortion was legalized in this country, there's been 43 million babies who have been aborted since 1973. That's an average of 1.3 million babies per year. It's an amazing thing that we've allowed and at the same time, I understand. And I hear stories. I know stories. Young girl, 17, who might even be a Christian sometimes, or not. And the world has fed central images into our young people's minds over and over again. We've allowed entertainment to shape us and shape our culture. And you have this 17-year-old girl who turns around and in a moment of time, she sleeps with another 18-year-old. And the world is saying, it's okay, it's fine, it's a great thing, don't hold out, don't do this, hey, you'll be great, it's fun, it's pleasurable, and she does. And then she gets pregnant and her whole life suddenly comes crashing down because reality sits in. And she panics and she doesn't know what to do. And her friends and her peers or maybe the father of the baby strongly say, just go get an abortion. Move forward with your life. Don't deal with this. You don't have to deal with this. Just get an abortion and move on. You know, I can completely understand someone who chooses that path. But that doesn't mean it's right. 
And that's why we have to continue to support organizations like Women's Resource Center who helps these young girls and gets them counseling and help so that they can see, you know what, there is a different path and I have someone standing with me through this process and maybe there is a path of adoption or, or, or keeping the, the, the baby or whatever the case may be, that there's options because the world says you don't have any options, just abort and move on. This administration puts in Obamacare and be not deceived, some of, I mean, the, across the country, well, hey, you're going to give me free health care? Great. But yet, the small print, and the reason the Catholic Church is uniting and being preached across this country, I wish some of our Baptist preachers would preach this morning where our Catholic priests are preaching, that this is a big issue, and Obamacare is a big issue, and free health care sounds great, or cheaper health care, or helping people who need health care. All of that's wonderful and terrific, and it sounds great. The problem I have with it is then they're going to pass along and force Christian men and women who have worked their whole life to have a small business or create a business like Home Depot or, Chick or, or uh, a Hobby Lobby, rather, and Chick-fil-A and so forth, who do not want to buy health care and insurance that has where they have to provide abortion-inducing pills to their employees, and it's their company. And they've worked their whole life to create these companies, and they're the ones who, who works probably the longest hours of them all. They're the ones who have to go to bed at night and make sure the business is going to stay open the next day and employing all of these people. And then for the president to turn around and say, you will buy health care that has this abortion-inducing pill as a part of it that clearly is abortion, and you'll provide that to any of your employees who want it. Uh-uh. That begins to infringe on their religious right and against their own faith belief. That's why the Catholic Church is so up in arms. Or Christian universities, such as University of Mobile or Samford, William Carey, etc., where we at UM would be forced to provide, if asked, health care for these employees. And if an employee wants to go out and have an abortion or take an abortion-inducing pill, we would have to, we're indirectly, but really directly paying for that. Let me put it in a different term. You give, we give money to the cooperative program, which is where we give collectively to the Baptist mission causes. Part of that money goes to University of Mobile, Sanford, Judson, etc., and ultimately, we buy insurance for our employees, and then we have an employee who wants to have this abortion or take an abortion-inducing pill or whatever the case may be. Your cooperative money that you gave just funneled to, through the state convention to our university, forcing us to give this pill to this woman or her, the, the provision for her to go get this pill. Got a problem with that? So while we're training ministers and people for the gospel to be leaders, Christian leaders, we're being forced by a president and an administration to participate in something that's clearly contrary to our own faith belief? What's the problem with that? It's a great problem with that. And clearly this administration has pushed through Obamacare and is forcing all of us to participate, or we can opt out at a cost. I don't know about y'all. I think I know about y'all, but I don't want blood on my hands. I'm not doing it. And so Tuesday, I go to the poll, and I'm going to vote. And what I'm voting for is to say, uh-uh, ain't doing it. It's not hard. Think about it. We have sunk to an all-time low as a nation. Endangered rats down on Fort Morgan Road 
will keep a building from going up or a house going up or whatever. And so we protect endangered rats down on Fort Morgan Road. But we don't protect a baby, a human life that God's put into a, a, a woman's womb. A girl, a, 17, a 16-year-old girl, has to get her parent to sign a permission slip to go on a field trip. So she goes on the field trip from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, and the parent signs off, and at 3.30, she finds herself at Planned Parenthood getting an abortion, and the parent doesn't have to know about it. Are we crazy? This country is sitting on millions of gallons of oil and gasoline, natural gas. But we would rather go pay an Islamic, bigoted, terrorist, mean, evil dictators across the Middle East. We'd rather give our money to them instead of giving the money to our own pockets. Are we crazy? We can have someone who's in the military walk into our main military base at Fort Hood and open fire and shoot people and say he went nuts and not prosecute him yet while all the time he's saying, I'm a terrorist. No, you're just crazy. You're crazy, remember? You just calm down. Don't put that out. And not prosecute him? Whatever happened to Benedict Arnold? Wow. A nation that's almost completely blind. We can send thousands of soldiers, and through the years, thousands have given their lives for the sake of liberty while millions of immigrants have come to the United States or desired to come to the United States just to taste freedom, but yet we currently have an administration who wants to form our nation to be like the nations where those people are trying to come here. I don't get that. We have an amazing number of resources, and this is for all of us, great people, great workers, great resources, great abilities, but we'd rather go send our money to a communist country called China 4,000 miles away for them to, so, so we can get a product a little cheaper. It doesn't make sense. And also, it doesn't make sense that we have a president currently who says he's a Christian, but yet he's for the gay agenda, against pro-life, for Islamic, relationships called it the sweetest sound on earth when they formed their prayer sirens. So we have a president who says he's a Christian, but yet his fruit, and the scripture says you'll know them by their fruit, his fruit is completely contrary to what we would believe as God's word, but yet we have a Mormon who's not supposed to believe and his belief system is more in line with ours. We've gone crazy. So let me say a word about that. Some of you I know say, well, I'm just, I don't want to go vote for a Mormon. What can I do? I don't want to vote for a Mormon. Well, first off, let's face the facts. You really don't have another choice unless you just want to write in Brother Fred. And Brother Fred has a, pa a church to pastor coming up, so he doesn't have time to do it. <laughs> Let me say a word about that. And maybe for those of you who are concerned about it, it's a legitimate concern. First off, James Madison, I believe it was, said, the Constitution is made for moral and religious people. 
One thing is for certain is that one of the candidates on Tuesday, while his belief system I am against, his value system falls more in line with Scripture. Thus, you have to vote not on what a man looks like or what a man oracle skills are or whatever the case may be. You have to look and say, it's about values and which candidates' values line up with my values based on God's Word. Or more clearly, which candidates' values line up with God's values as found in Scripture. So that's why on Tuesday I have no hesitation who I'm voting for. In regards to the third component here from Billy Graham, Defend Our Religious Freedoms, won't spend but just a moment on this. That goes back to this whole Obamacare, for instance, of telling us how we will decide and basically doesn't matter that you believe that you, you're opposed to abortion, you're going to follow suit, you're going to get in line, you're going to do what you're supposed to do. Doesn't matter what the historical record is as a nation, we will infringe upon your religious freedoms and have you go against what you feel to be true to your faith. That's a problem. Turn with me, I want to close with Daniel chapter 3. Daniel's a hard book to find. Look in your table of contents, or if you find Psalm right in the middle, go to the right. You'll see Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and you'll come across the book of Daniel. While you're turning there, finishing up, I do want to quickly say also an administration that's opposing Jerusalem and will not meet with Netanyahu is a problem. And we won't get into that, but clearly by Scripture, God says that Israel will belong to the children of Abraham forever. Jerusalem is the holy city. Pray for the peace in Jerusalem, the Scripture says, and you will prosper. And we have a current administration who will not even meet with Israel, who's in opposition to Israel. And here's what political science guys tell me, and it makes a lot of sense, is Israel now lives in a bad neighborhood. After Egypt fell to the other guys, the bottom line is Israel sits with bad neighbors all the way around them. Iran... In the process of building nuclear weapons, who's clearly, as the president, who says that he wants to annihilate Israel. The Jewish people of Israel have stated and will not wait for the United States to declare war on Iran. They will do it on their own because they will never, ever fall back into a Holocaust situation. They'll take matters in their own hands now. And they are still has the hand of God and there's a chosen nation and so forth, I don't want to end up in a situation where we're not in line with the chosen nation. And I, the, new, the media has not covered this at all. I got confirmation on it as absolute fact that Israel has called up all of their young guys, a report from a pastor, direct connection, invalidated, was the Wailing Wall is full of young guys praying. And there's a lot of movement. And the bottom line is this. And I checked it literally from a valid source who contacted and talked to a general in Israel that this is true information, that they are not going to wait, that they're getting ready for an all-out war to defend themselves, and they're getting everybody ready for that. Now they wait for an election. 
And if a certain person gets in, President Obama gets in, who they don't feel has any support, well, why would they feel support when they won't even meet with them? They will take matters into their own hands and they will protect themselves from Iran. What Romney will do, who has a clue, but Obama's already proven himself what he will do. And that is nothing except, you're not talking, I don't want to listen to you. I certainly don't espouse to be a prophet, but I'll tell you this. If Obama gets reelected, you mark it down within four years, we're going to have an all-out hellacious war on our hands in the Middle East between Iran and Israel. And the question is going to be, whose side do we go on? And it's going to pull in all the other big boys. And then we have a mess on our hands. Is it really about the economy? Huh. Daniel 3, look at this, and this is how we close. Great, great passage of Scripture. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was six cubits and width six cubits. That's 90 feet tall. A gold, a, a gold image, 90 feet tall. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, etc., and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried out aloud, and he said, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at the time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, and the musical instruments, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of these musical instruments with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. Verse 11, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. You see, what they had done is they said, we'll only abide to the word of God, not the word of the king. Verse 13, so Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? 15. Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the music instruments, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O God. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you, which you have set up. New way of doing business. The king said, this is how you've been worshiping, but I will now bring a gold image before you, place it before you, and when the sounds come, everybody will need to bow down to this image. You see, the king didn't say, bow down to me, it's the king. Instead, he said, bow down to the image. The gold image. It's interesting that it would be a gold image because we live in a day and an era where we have a president who's redefined how we're supposed to worship and what we're supposed to believe. And he's placed a huge golden image out in front of us of where he's saying to some, you don't have to do anything, just come get the gold. 
We have some who's choosing gold over God. And we have set up this golden image of saying, this is what you need to do. And unfortunately, most have gotten in line, and many have gotten in line and said, whatever we're supposed to do, that's what we'll do. And they redefine their style of worship and their belief system right here in Daniel chapter 3. But there were three young guys who said, we're not going to do it. And they get called before the king, and, they, and the king said, is this true? You better do it. And they said, listen, if, uh, you, can, you can do what you want. Throw us in the fiery furnace, and God will deliver us, or we'll just go on, and God will still take care of us. We don't care. We ain't doing it. That was Hebrew, southern Hebrew. And we have a current administration that says, you will believe this way in regards to sanctity of life. You will, you will participate in abortion, in abortion-inducing pills. We will turn around and you will not be able to speak out and say what you want. I'm not even supposed to say who I vote for from the pulpit of America or tell you any of this information because of our tax 501c3 status. Really? Who has the right to tell me what I'm going to say from the pulpit in regards to God's Word? This is His Word. We will stand on truth. And it doesn't matter what Nebuchadnezzar or anybody else has to say about it. For we will stand for God and against man. We will not participate in the things of the earth. We will not participate in the things that come from D.C. We will not participate in the things that come from Hollywood. We will not participate in the things that come from Wall Street. We will not go for the gold. We'll go for God. And you mark that down from Luke 4.18. Amen? Now, when I go to the polling station on Tuesday and I'm handed that blessed ballot, And I walk in over in Daphne, Alabama, Rockwell Elementary, and I go to my little station. This is what I will do. And I've done it every single time since I was able to, uh, to, to vote. And I remember going to mom, with my mama over to Greystone Elementary School and her holding my hand and walking into the old curtain and you went behind the curtain. And I remember her holding my hand and us walking in there and her voting and us walking out. And I'm like, this is pretty neat. I got to go behind the curtain like a magician. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. If we don't vote the right way on Tuesday, we're going to have a magician on our hands. And every week, and I'll do it on Tuesday, I can't wait for Tuesday, I will walk in and I will sit down at that table with my ballot and I will stop and I will say, Oh God, thank you so much that I land, live in the land of the free where I can vote and you've given me this gift. Lord, give me wisdom to vote based on what you believe I should do, not on what someone else thinks I should do or even what I think I should do. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'll take that pencil and I'll begin to mark the different people. And here's what I'm voting on. When I go to my polling station in the hand of the ballot, I'm not simply casting a vote based on who I like, which party I endorse, or what policy I agree upon, or the charisma of a leader. No, when I vote, I will be saying no to the current policies of redefining marriage, no to sanctity of, to, 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 to the redefinition or the, the, this whole sanctity of life issue. I'll be saying no, we will stand for religious freedom in this country. I will be saying absolutely not to this anti-God administration that we have on our hands that we voted in four years ago. I will be saying no to a current direction which this nation has, has never gone before. I will be saying no to the liberal agenda which desires to dictate what I should believe and how what I should say or not say. I will be saying that I will instead stand with God in the things of value. I will stand for marriage as it's been defined since the beginning of time. I will be saying yes to the freedom of those that, that, that's died for us all the time, I will be saying yes to God's gift to the world in the form of freedom which so many long for. I'll be saying yes to the forefathers who wrote our Constitution. I'll be saying yes to the patriots who have given their life. I'll be saying yes to the God Almighty, and I will be saying no to the world. That's why I can't wait to vote on Tuesday. And on Tuesday, we will boldly and unashamedly say, no, you can't. As opposed to the slogan four years ago of, yes, we can.
And we'll be having to pray and pray hard. Simple truth is this. In the area of life, and when life begins in the rights of a woman to abort a baby, God disagrees with President Barack Obama. In the area of redefining what marriage is, God disagrees with Barack Obama. In the area of personal responsibility, God disagrees with Barack Obama. In the area of Israel, and Israel is Israel's, and it belongs to the people of Israel, and the capital is Jerusalem, God disagrees with Barack Obama. And in the area of religious freedom and what we will say or not say and who we answer to and what we'll do or not participate in or participate in, God disagrees with Barack Obama. And this certainly may not be politically correct and it might sound bigoted. But God is the source of our victory and God is the source of our strength and God is our solution and again the solution doesn't come through a man if we don't all fall on our faces before God across this country then we're messed up anyway. Pray for revival across our country. Pray for awakening, that we can get our blinders off and quit acting like the greatest crazies the world has ever known, to give away all that we've ever had. Pray. Vote.